Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Baltazor. And today, we figured we would do an episode because we know a lot of people are leaving for Dallas on Friday, including me. Not sure about you. Uh, I'll be leaving uh, 8 a.m. Friday. Okay, I'm leaving 12 p.m. Friday. So... You know, we figured we would give people something to listen to on the way down with a little bit of Alley Cat and General Cat's news. And on today's episode, we're going to be going over a new women's basketball signee, a recap of the volleyball that has recently occurred, and a recap of soccer, as well as football depth chart notes going into the Stanford game, which if we had the depth chart before we did the preview episode, it would have been in the preview episode. But alas. But. <laughs> yeah, fortunately it came out after, and we talked about adding it to the end, but we figured that would be a little awkward and just not really flow well. So we'll just put it here. Yeah. Besides, people are going to be driving down anyway. Yeah, get it. it'll get everybody in the mindset of the game. Yep. So let's first just start off with, I guess you could pen this in as our recruiting segment for this week, with the new women's basketball signee by the name of Heavenly Greer, a forward originally from Phoenix, Arizona, but a transfer from the Oklahoma Sooners. And what do we have on Heavenly? Well, I haven't been able to find any film on her, and uh, but she is rated pretty well, um, at least from her high school days. Um, ESPN had her ranked as the number 23 prospect at her position, and I, as far as I can tell, she's a forward. Yes, she is. Yeah, so, and then she also, by Prospects Nation, she was ranked the 59th uh, player in the country, just period, which, I mean, that's really great. Yep. So, uh, we know a little bit about her from her time in Oklahoma. Uh, It was her true freshman season, as I can tell, and she played in 10 games, uh, averaged 2.2 points per game, shot 47% from the field, 2.8 rebounds per game, and blocked 0.2 shots. But she did have one game where she just went absolutely nuts on rebounds. She had 10 rebounds against Texas State. Not sure how that happened. And she still managed to only average 2.8 rebounds a game. It's a little strange, but they, whatever. Um, but in high school, she was pretty outstanding. Uh, she averaged 26 points per game, 15 rebounds, 7 blocks, 5 steals, and 7 assists per game. I mean, that's just absolutely insane. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, she, that's nuts. <laughs> she literally averaged a 5x5, five five, like, what? <laughs> and so that adds her to uh, the signing class for women's basketball that includes uh, the Glenn Twins, Briley and Jalen from Raymore, Missouri, uh, a Serena Sundell from Maryville, Missouri, Malene Peterson from... I'm not going to try and pronounce that. <laughs> she's from Denmark. And then uh, Rebecca Dallinger, she's a guard from Sydney, Australia. And she also, I think she went to community college here in the U.S. And uh, so that's about the extent of what we know on Heavenly Greer, at least right now. Um, this was all provided in the uh, um, write-up from a KSA Women's Basketball. Um, but it's always good to add some uh, post-depth uh, behind uh, Aoka Lee, because we know how great she is. But, it's, but we'll need people to fill in behind her, so I wish she can get a good rest. Yep. And uh, if we really wanted to clickbait this episode, we could say K-State picks up an Oklahoma transfer. <laughs> that 
That could be really <laughs> It'd be really funny, but I feel like a lot of people would get angry. Uh, yeah, I, I'll vote against it for now, but... <laughs> for now? But you'll, you'll, you'll know immediately if we decide to go through with it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I... It's a, it's a globetrotting recruiting class, not to bring up Harlem Globetrotters because basketball, but that's what that was. It is. That's what it is. It, yeah. I mean, it's from all over the world. Um, pretty impressive job from uh, Jeff Mitty to go out and get uh, some highly rated high school players, some international players, and a, a transfer from not just a Power 5 school, but an in-conference Power 5 school, and someone that was outstanding at the high school level. So a lot of potential there. Yep. So that ends our recruiting segment because there really wasn't much to go over this week. But we do have two sports with which to recap. We have, first off, volleyball. And the K-State women's volleyball team participated in the Husker Invitational this previous weekend and won their first game against Colgate 3-1. to Their matchup against Tulsa was canceled for whatever reason. Um, maybe COVID or something. It may have been COVID. I I'm actually have no idea, so. Yeah. But they also ended up losing to number five, Nebraska, one, two, three. But that, was, that score doesn't necessarily tell the full story because they were all close sets. Yeah, the the game against Nebraska was very close. I mean, the Colgate um, game, uh, we don't really need to spend too much time on that. K-State dropped the first set and then went 3-0, and handled that pretty well uh but the uh nebraska game um it definitely doesn't tell the full story um the final score uh although in volleyball 3-1 looks a lot worse than it actually is most of those sets were pretty close like the only one that really got out of hand was set one nebraska won that 25 17 which we seem to be slow starters yeah i i think that's what it is uh it seems the team's a bit of a slow starter um but set two, K-State dropped that only by two. They went to, I, I don't know if it's called extra points or whatever. It's something like that. Point is, is that Nebraska had to do more work to beat them. They won 27-25 there. And K-State just absolutely dominated set three, 25-11. That's one of the worst score lines I've ever seen in a college volleyball game. And then Nebraska came back in set four. Uh, they were behind for a while, and they won 25-22. So, K-State not able to put away number 5 Nebraska, but they played very admirably. Um, two of those three sets that they lost, they were very close, and one of them had to be a come-from-behind win for Nebraska. It was a really young volleyball squad, so I'm not too discouraged to see them lose to a fifth-ranked opponent. Um, yeah. They weren't expected to win, and they played very admirably. So, I mean, it's just... It's, it's something that they can very easily build on. And then they had that one set of dominance uh, in set three, 25-11. Yeah. So that looks great for them as well. Yeah, playing number five that close consistently, that's, um, especially as a young program, that's very, very good. Yep. I feel like that goes without saying. Yeah. But just because they've played recently doesn't mean they're going to play again. In fact, they play again this Friday and Saturday. Friday is up against Pepperdine, and Saturday, I believe, is up against the University of California, Santa Barbara. Yep, and then they also will have a later game on Saturday against San Diego State. I'm not sure why they're playing them actually pretty close together. Like, Santa Barbara's at 2 p.m., and San Diego State's at 6.30. That's the same day. It's 
kind of strange. I don't know if that's normal for college volleyball. I don't think it is, but I guess they were going to do something kind of similar uh, with the Colgate and Tulsa matchups last Friday, but the Tulsa one didn't end up happening. But anyways, the Volleyball Cats, um, that's a group to keep an eye on this year. Uh, they finished third in the Big 12 last year and narrowly missed a tournament berth. So the expectation this year when they, I believe they're returning to the full tournament field, they they should at the very least be a bubble team yet again. Yeah. So. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them make it, especially after playing Nebraska that close. Yeah. Yeah, if they can play Nebraska that close, that gives them a much better shot against the juggernauts of Big 12 volleyball like uh, Baylor and Texas. So. Yep. So moving on to soccer. They had two games since our last episode and three by the time this episode releases on Friday. We don't we're not mind readers. We're recording this on Wednesday. We can't tell you the Thursday matchup results, but they two games that have already been played were up against Austin P and North Alabama. They won the Austin P game quite handily. Yeah. It was 5-0. Yeah, 5-0 as they say in the soccer world. Um I watched part of this game and I have a couple notes on it. The first one is that the Austin P broadcast was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> like they had a camera that I think they were controlling it remotely because it was always just a little bit behind and it didn't quite get the whole field either. Like there was like a part like in the lower middle that they just literally could not see even if they wanted to. And then about with about 30 minutes to go, the commentator for Austin P just kind of gave up and he talked maybe once every two or three minutes. and But then there'd just be about 90 seconds of just complete silence. And nothing was happening. Dead air. Yeah, it was a little strange. But, yeah, this uh, I watched that game on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, uh, the team looked really sharp. Um, they were getting everything that they wanted. I mean, they were just firing shots off at Austin P. Which, I mean, granted, Austin P is not exactly the... Uh, greatest opponent on earth but um k-state finished with 23 shots on the game compared to just four for austin p and k-state had 10 shots on goal compared to just two for austin p so ratioed yeah pretty pretty terrible the performance from austin p and k-state really split really spread the uh the goals around the team um uh, i think yeah every goal was scored by someone else uh Jesse Warren at the first goal. Brooklyn Entz, uh, the Kansas City women's soccer draft pick, she scored just a couple of minutes later. And Marissa Weichel scored in the 50th minute. Aaliyah Elnager in the 58th minute. And then Ruby Arnell-Williams in the 75th minute. So they spread it out pretty well, and they got a lot of people in this game. I think almost the whole team played. So really good performance for uh, the uh, soccer cats. Yep. And that there has to be a better name than the Soccer Cats. I, I don't think the, there is. I'm sorry. Because, like, you know... There's Bat Cats. There's Bat Cats, which I think, honestly, may take the cake for, for best non-Wildcat name. I really like Bat Cats. So there's got to be something better for soccer. So, I don't know, if you can do better than me, which is not hard at all. <laughs> like, that, that's me barely trying. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, drop it in the comments or something. Yeah. I don't know. So the next game was up against North Alabama, which was a 1-0 W in favor of the Cats. And you have the stats pulled up right now. There was one lone score, but what about shots? Uh, shots was yet another just complete domination by K-State, but this is just how soccer goes. Uh, 24 shots again, so the exact same number of shots and six shots on goal. 
So very similar offensive output in that sense. But the difference is that they were fine in the back of the net against Austin P. But with the case of Northern Alabama, Northern Alabama had five saves on six shots on goal. So the, the shots just were not getting through that final line of defense for Northern Alabama. K-State was getting what they wanted. They were putting just as many shots up. But it just wasn't happening. This game was not broadcasted, so I wasn't able to watch it. But the the score did happen at the very last moment with just 51 seconds to go in the match. Ada Anderson uh, finally got one through in case he was able to escape with a victory over Northern Alabama. Uh, which this game was also played, I think, at Austin Peay's stadium. It may I, have been. I don't know why that was. They... And they were there. They were they were already there. Didn't feel like moving anywhere else, I guess. But, yeah, so K-State's offense putting up a lot of shots in these two road contests so far. So hopefully they're going to be a pretty exciting team to watch over these next few games and when they eventually return home uh, September 12th to face Indiana. Yep. And the Thursday matchup, is that the one against Denver? Yeah, that's Denver. Denver... I believe they're ranked. I'm pretty sure they're in the 20s. I'm not 100% sure, but they'll face Denver September 2nd on Thursday. By the time this episode is up, we'll know the results of that. And then uh, on Sunday, September 5th, they'll be at Colorado State. Then uh, next week, they'll be at Purdue. And then they'll finally come home. That's a very long road trip. Uh, Two or three weeks, it looks like. And then they'll finally come home and have a little bit of a home stand there. But, yeah, off to a very good start are the uh, um, a soccer team. So, so hopefully this is a good omen. Yeah, isn't that isn't the lone loss to Weber State? Yeah, the lone losses to Weber State in the first game uh, that counted. They won, a, they, had, they won an exhibition, then drew an exhibition game. Uh, then they lost to Weber State inexplicably. I, I don't know if Weber State is good or not. So I guess I shouldn't be like dissing them. We we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> this is not our area of expertise. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with the uh, the landscape of collegiate women's soccer. Other than I know that like West Virginia is really good. Um, yeah, right. It's so it's weird. The yeah, then they beat Omaha, and that's 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 pretty much it for our soccer coverage. I think. Yep. So. We finally get into the football death chart notes. It's on photos. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right, if you if you saw the picture of how we record these episodes, you know Connor is at the computer, despite this is my house. Yeah, I'm just sitting up here, just invading your space. So <laughs> thank you for that. I mean, I'm honestly too loud to be that close to the mic. So <laughs> that's true. I'm too quiet to be that far away. Yeah. So. <laughs> hey. Anyway, so now we finally get to go over the Kansas State football depth chart, which released yesterday, if yeah. I'm right. Yeah, that was yesterday, uh, Tuesday, that was the 31st, but it might have been Monday. Either or, it came out after we put out the episode. Yeah, either, either way it was. It was after. Yeah. So let's firstly just go down the list, and I do mean quite literally go down the list on the offensive side. For the first group of wide receivers, we have wide receiver one, Malik Knowles. That's not a surprise. Yep. Nobody's surprised to see Malik Knowles on the top of the receiver depth chart. No. That, that's pretty much all I have for that. Yeah. 
And then in wide receiver 2A and 2B, we have what may come as a surprise to some people, which is Keenan Garber or Sebastian Taylor. And I'm someone who has who was very, very bullish on Keenan Garber, but recently that is kind of cooled down with some speculation that has come out. But still, him earning that wide receiver 2A spot right now, even with Sebastian Taylor on a pitch count, as Chris Kleiman has said, it's still a good sign for our wide receiver room that we're getting more people out there and at least playing at a high level. Yeah, I'm happy if for no other reason than for uh, the health of my take on Bosco's voice <laughs> about Garber being a young breakout guy. You and I had the same take. I think I think I also said Keenan, but I also may have said Jacardier. Either of those are great options. Uh, Jacardier may have been a slightly less good option with Joe Irvin, but maybe they both contribute. I think they'll both end up contributing, but... Yeah, I think a lot of Garber currently being in that uh, number two or in the backup spot for Malik Knowles, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Chabaston Taylor uh, still being on a pitch count. So I think that those roles will probably flip uh, once Taylor is fully healthy, which we're not really sure when that will be. A few weeks, maybe. We're just speculating. Um, but I don't know, I'm a big fan of Garber. Um, I'm really hoping that he can have a breakout year. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Um, and then Taylor, I'm hoping that he's able to uh, fight off his injury and um, have a big year. Yeah. And, and what I meant by wide receiver 2A was just the wide receiver behind Malik Knowles. I didn't yeah. need like, the second wide receiver on the field. I needed to clear that up because that wasn't yeah. necessarily clear. Yeah, Garber is backing up Knowles, but that doesn't mean he's the second receiver on the field. Yeah, exactly. Then left tackle is Cooper Beebe backed up by Carver Willis. Yeah, Cooper Beebe's probably the best player on the field, and I'm including Deuce Vaughn. Yeah, Beebe is unbelievably talented. He, when he eventually gets moved back into guard, which is something that will eventually happen, um, he's probably an NFL talent. And Carver Willis is a guy that got some playing time last year as a true freshman. Um, he's the prototypical tackle for what the staff wants. Uh, really long arms uh, and athletic, and he moves well. So... Not too much surprise there at left tackle. Yep. Left guard, the starter will be Josh Rivas, backed up by KT or Katori Leviston or Dawson Del Forge. Again, there's no real big surprises along the offensive line. Not really. I mean, yeah, Rivas, um, he's a seasoned veteran. Obviously, he's going to be starting uh, Leviston. Um, it may be surprising to some since he did have several starts at left tackle last year that he's now being moved into guard, but I think that's a more natural position for him. Uh, he clearly wasn't comfortable at left tackle last year. Then uh, Dawson Delforge, um, junior college teammate, I believe, Noah Johnson, and anyone else that came out of, I think that's Butler County. It's Butler. Yeah, so um, good to see them uh, cracking the depth chart. Yeah, and we'll just go through the rest of the offensive line, not to disrespect the big guys, but we don't want this episode to be too long. Right. No Johnson starting center, Ben Adler starting right guard, and Christian Duffy starting right tackle. Backed up by Hayden Gillum, Hadley Panzer, and Logan Long, respectfully. The um, only spot that I see on there that was really up in the air was maybe right tackle, because I believe that there are a lot of people who were thinking maybe Katori plays right tackle, maybe with uh, the injury to 
to Taylor because I'm, I'm not trying the French pronunciation again. Poitier? Poitier. 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 Yeah, Taylor Poitier, a right tackle, but he got hurt. So Christian Duffy steps into right tackle. Yeah, Duffy, um, he's a guy that I really, really like. He was somebody that was, he was one of the few, I think, on the offensive line last year that was good the entire year. Because there was a lot of inconsistency for, especially the first half of the season. But Duffy, he was pretty reliable throughout most of the season, at least as I saw. Noah Johnson, great to have him back. Uh, ben Adler, um, there was a battle between him and Taylor Poitier. Um, but uh, Poitier's injury, that leaves Adler as a starter. Then uh, the backups, Logan Long, senior, uh, reliable. Not much to say there. Hadley Panzer is a gray shirt, true freshman. So he may be in line to start as a redshirt freshman uh, next season. And uh, Hayden Gillum is uh, stepping up to back up at center. Yep. And now we get into what I believe is probably the first big surprise of the depth chart. Tight end one is Nick Lenners. That was very interesting to me. Um, I guess we can get into the backups as well. Yeah. Backed up by Daniel Bebe or Sammy Wheeler. That yeah, this was very interesting to me that they listed Lenners as the number one tight end over uh, Imaturbebe and Wheeler, um, mainly because what this offense generally is going to do with their tight ends in the passing game is not really something that is that's that's not Lenners' proficiency no. as a player. He's a blocking tight end that can catch, as opposed to Imaturbebe and a Wheeler who are receiving tight ends that can block, presumably. Allegedly. He blocks. He blocks. <laughs> but how I make this work in my head is that this is based on how they'll line up on the first play of the game and their base offensive set. Yeah. And and that with that in mind, that's likely going to be a two tight end set with Leonard's and a Matarbebe, and they're gonna run the ball. And when they won the when they when they run the ball, they're gonna want Leonard's in there to block. Not always, but he is preferred for run blocking situations. Imatra Bebe, I imagine, will get the lion's share of targets uh, in the passing game for tight ends, with Wheeler uh, picking up some occasionally, maybe even Lenners. Yeah. And I kind of viewed it similar to that. I kind of viewed it as the Harry Trotter, Deuce Vaughn situation from last year. Yep. Where Harry Trotter was base, was penciled as the starter, and he took the opening handoff. And then it was yeah. Deuce's show. For the first five games, he was listed as a starter. They eventually switched that because it was just obvious that Deuce was the starter. But it was really only game one where Trotter really was the number one running back. But they very quickly found out that Deuce was going to be a lot more effective. Yeah. And also, you got to keep in mind that K-State, they like two tight end sets. Not yeah. as much as Stanford does. Not as much as Stanford, the but they... The Cro-Magnon. The, the Cro-Magnon at Stanford, they love having tight ends on the field. But at K-State, they will run two, di- two tight end sets. Yeah. So it, it's not concerning. I don't... I, I think there were a lot of people, I believe I saw on Twitter the other day, it was a list of four questions, and there were people who put in Imatsuri Bebe as getting the first catch, and then they saw the depth chart. And then they kind of panicked over their take a little bit, but I, I still think that that's probably reasonable. Yeah, I, I think Imaturbebe is still a great candidate for the first catch. I think Knowles was my pick on that tweet. I said Deuce. 
all of those are totally fine options. In fact, I think those are the three most likely. So jokes on all of us. Jacks Warner. Jacks Deneen. Jacks Deneen. Jacks Deneen. For a seventy-five yard touchdown rumble. <laughs> Breaking every t- he breaks every single person on the defense and one on the offense. Who who's gonna be broken on the offense? Good grief. I don't know. <laughs> He's just going to fling a Stanford player so far that the civilian casualty happens. Oh man. <laughs> Anyway, next we move on to quarterback. Again, no big surprise here. Skylar Thompson, who announced that he has merch today. Yeah, he's got merch now. Uh, if you want to support him, go buy his merch, I guess. I'm, I'm glad he... <laughs> glad him and we... Ah, I'm glad we didn't release our merch on the same day. You're right, that would have been terrible. Like, have that conflicting <gasps> release. I can't compete with yeah, how do we compete with Skyler Thompson in the merch game? We don't. We can't. We don't have the we don't have the clout. <laughs> Except for one shirt, which I think we agreed that we're going to put in as other than our logo, which we'll announce at the end of the show. Yep. But by the way, that's part of the outro bit. Didn't put it on the outline, but part of the outro bit. Oh, uh, surprise. <laughs> and QB two is Will Howard, which will come in for the Will Howardser packages. Yep. Uh, Will Howitzer, he'll be in there for uh, um, Jet Veer, and that's it. <laughs> and Jet Veer, suddenly, for no reason, even though he runs like a baby gazelle, yep. he'll end up getting 35 yards off of it. Yeah, I went back and watched some of his highlights, and he's a little faster than I remember him. I don't know why. Bro, in person, he looks slow, but on film, he's not that yeah. slow. <laughs> yeah, he looked, especially the Oklahoma State game, he looked fast in that game. No, that's what I remember. That's why I said he looks like he runs like a baby gazelle. Yeah, kind of like Briley Moore, how you actually run a four six, but in person he looks like he's he running like a five. Yeah, he looks like he's running through quicksand in person. This Briley Moore, but he's actually very quick. Yeah. <clears throat> and fullback, the unsung hero of the offense, Sea Wolf. Sea Wolf or Jackson is your starting fullback. Backed up by Mason Barta or Christian Moore. The only surprise here is that Christian Moore has broken into the rotation as fast as he has. Yeah. Because Christian Moore, I believe he was part of that first Kleiman recruiting class. Uh, and he was one of the first commits to Chris Kleiman as well, if I recall correctly. And uh, it's it's good to see some another young Kleiman product uh, break in quickly. Yep. Scramble class, as we will... As you and I constantly yeah. refer to it as. The scramble class. Yep. But, of course, we all know that Jackson Eads going to end up with this game with seven touchdowns, and he's going to win the Heisman I'm in really the first looking, week. I'm really looking forward to it. He's going to win the Heisman in the first week as a fullback. I think it'll be really fun. It'll be a unusual year for NCAA football, but they'll have to get used to it. <laughs> this is the new normal. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the new normal. Yep. Running back, similarly, no surprise. We don't have to spend any time here. Deuce Vaughn and Joe Irvin. Joe Irvin being the backup, I kind of figure that's a, a one-two punch. Yeah. The only thing that surprised me here is that it, it wasn't Joe Irvin or, or Jacardier, right? Which is a little surprising, but I imagine they're still going to use Jacardier plenty. Um, unless they don't. Unless they don't. <laughs> unless. Unless. Yeah. No big surprises there. 
Then wide receiver, again, which I figured this is probably the slot guy. I think this is slot, yeah. Well, it has to be, pretty much. Yeah, it, it has to be. Please don't put Phillip Brooks outside. The Please. starter is Phillip Brooks, backed up by Cade Warner. Yeah, that's about all I can say is please be the slot guy because that that's, seems like the manufacturer touches position, which, yeah, okay, yeah, that's about we'll, all we can say. We'll leave it there. Yeah. No disrespect to Phillip Brooks as a wide receiver. I just believe his skill set is more in tune to the outside. Yep. Inside. And then we move into the last offensive position listed, which is the other outside receiver, and I believe another spot where some people were pretty surprised. Yeah. That is... Go ahead. Yeah, this is a pretty interesting one. Uh, Landry Weber gets the starting outside receiver spot over Tyrone Howell, which that definitely caught me off guard, especially with the buzz coming from Tyrone Howell uh, from the... uh, on the camp circuit, as well as uh, that highlight catch that was tweeted out by Joe Hall, where he just sunned Daryl jo- or Darrell Jones. I, uh, he, he just destroyed this true freshman who just started playing corner, but it was good coverage by Darrell. It, it was actually great coverage. It was a very good throw to an excellent catch by Tyrone. But I think this is another. I think we can copy paste the statement from the Nick Lenners Daniel Masterbebe. Um, line where this is probably how the lineup on the first play, because uh, Landry Weber, uh, excellent, excellent run blocker for a receiver. Uh, but Tyrone Howell, he's a jump ball guy. He's a very pure receiver. Although Chris Kleiman did have some glowing quotes about Landry Weber, um, he mentioned that he had an excellent camp and just was not dropping passes at all. So maybe there's a little bit more to the Landry Weber buzz than we think right now. But for now, I'm gonna leave it at I think Tyrone Howell will probably get most of the uh, receiving touches from that position while Weber will get the occasional target and mainly be used uh, for run blocking. Joke's on us. Landry Weber is the leading receiver, gets drafted number one overall. That would be quite the turn. (laughs) (laughs) So do we want to do defense or specialists next? Uh, We can do defense and save specialists for the end. All right. So again, we're just going to go straight down the list. The first defensive end spot, which, by the way, our first episode, hey, uh, past us, is... It's not a 3-3-5. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a 3-3-5. I don't know why you believe that. But, anyway. Starting defensive end on one side will be Khalid Duke, backed up by my personal favorite pass rusher from the open practice, Nate Matlock. Yeah, he was... Nate Matlock was excellent at the open practice that we went to. Um, so it's nice to see him break in this quickly. He also was good at the spring practice that they had uh, where he picked off Will Howard um, in the scrimmage. Everyone but, went nuts. Yep. Now that defense is popping after that. But Khalid Duke, he's going to be the the big name, I think, at the beginning of this year for the uh, the front four. Uh, he's going to be the guy that, like on TV, the commentators are going to be saying, hey, look out for Khalid Duke, when in reality it may be another guy on the defensive line that we'll get to here pretty soon. Yeah. But, yeah, Duke, um, we all expected that. Matlack, a little surprising, but I imagine this is a spot that they'll be rotating maybe even three deep. So. Yeah. If, I, if I didn't watch the, the open practice, this would have been a big surprise to me. But, honestly, at the open practice, I don't think anyone was coming close to even touching Nate Matlack. Yeah. 
if he was unbelievably athletic and quick, had excellent pass rush moves. Uh, only thing is he needs to bulk up a little bit, I think, and that will come with time. Yeah. So now we kick ourselves to the inside where we have the first defensive tackle of transfer from Charlotte, Timmy Horn, who we've been hearing a lot of very good things about, so this isn't really a surprise to see him slated into that starting spot, and he is backed up by Robert Hence the second. Yeah, Timmy Horn starting here, uh, not a surprise at all. Uh, he was named a captain after being at K-State for maybe eight months. So that just goes to show what kind of impact he's had in the locker room and also how much respect uh, the teammates have for him, not just off the field, but on the field as well. Yeah. So Timmy Horn starting, that's exactly what he was brought in for, and that's what he's going to do. Robert Hentz the second, a little bit surprising, I guess, but it's only because... We didn't see a lot of him at the open practice, as I recall, and there's been little to no buzz on him. However, that defensive tackle room is a little thin right now, so he may be the best option, although there are uh, other guys behind him like Tyrone Tallini, uh, Cartez Crook-Jones, I believe, is at defensive tackle as well. So there, there's other options there, but Robert Hens the second makes it onto the two deep, at least for now. Yep. And the other defensive tackle spot, the other starter will be Eli Huggins, backed up by Jalen Pickle. And of all the positions here, I think on the defense, this is the most that's one, that's more 1A, 2B. I mean, 1A, 1B. Yeah. Um, you mean the duo of Huggins and Pickle? Yeah. Yeah, because Huggins, last year he was pretty good. Um, a nice compliment to a Wiley. But uh, um, Jalen Pickle, he also had some very impressive showings as well. Uh, in his own right, uh, the Oklahoma game, I believe. He had some pretty nice plays. Uh, I believe he started against Arkansas State, maybe. And We don't talk about that game. That game never happened. Yeah, what Arkansas State game? What is Arkansas State? They're not real. That's, that's not a real state. So, <laughs> Jalen Pickle, uh, he's a guy, an uh, in-state guy. So, I mean, can't go wrong with that. I'd like to see him there. Uh, and Huggins, he's good as well. So, I, I feel pretty confident in that second group right there. Yep. And the other defensive end spot... This is a moment where we can say it was just you and me, but it's really just everyone. Everyone was pounding the table for it to happen and thought it would happen, and it finally did. Felix Anadike will be your starting defensive end, backed up by Boom Massey. This was really surprising to me, mainly because I didn't think this was going to happen until about halfway through the year. Like, we talked about the Trotter Deuce uh, situation last year where it was a pseudo start for Trotter, but it wasn't really. And that's kind of what I thought was going to be going on with Boone Massey um, and Felix Anudike, where Massey is listed as a starter, but Anudike is the guy that's really just making the splash impact. And that's not a diss on Boone Massey, because I think he's really good, actually. It's just that it's more of a compliment of Felix Anudike being an unbelievable talent. Yeah. And he... Him on one end with Khalid Duke on the other end, that makes me very, very happy with our current pass rush situation, especially if NUDK lives up to the hype that we've been hearing from K-State camp. Um, what we've been hearing has just been unbelievable on NUDK. They're, they've been calling him King Felix. I think we've mentioned that here a couple of times. So keep an, keep an eye on him for sure. Yeah, keep an eye on King Felix. And I still think Boom Massey will still get significant snaps. I mean, he's on the two deep. Yeah. And Kleiman said that he's going to rotate 10 or 11 people 
on the defensive line, and there are only eight people listed here. So yeah, so there's still some other guys there that we don't even know who they're gonna rotate. So so looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Can we bring in an offensive lineman to defensive tackle? No, we cannot. <laughs> no, we cannot. Just because he's big doesn't mean he can play on the other line. Unless he's John Pastor. Unless he's John Pastor. He can. But he's not here yet. He's not here yet. But now we move on to the much maligned in the K-State Circles linebacker room. At the will linebacker, or the weak side linebacker, the starter will be Cody Fletcher, backed up by Austin Moore. And... Nothing surprising here, no, really. not really. There was, a, there was a ton of smoke screens, I think, being thrown up by the uh, coaching staff throughout their interviews. I mean, they named, by the end of it, I think they had named almost every linebacker on the roster yeah. as somebody that they were considering as a uh, backup um, to Fletcher and Green. But it ends up being, uh, at least on the weak side, the guy that we figured it would probably be the entire time. So, or at least most of the time. So Yeah. Then you get to the true middle linebacker, which is going to be Daniel Green backed up by Nick Allen. The only thing that I really thought here is that they might slide Nick Allen to Will and then just have Austin Moore back up as a true Mike. That's splitting hairs. Honestly, that's not a big surprise. No, not at all. Daniel Green, he was, honestly, throughout the offseason, he was the only guy in the linebacker room that we could look at the entire time and say he will start. Yeah. Um, Nick Allen, he wasn't someone that really started to pop up until a little later when he Coach Kleiman started calling him by name and saying that he'd been really impressive. So if you've been following Kleiman's pressers closely, then Nick Allen on the two deep isn't much of a surprise. Uh, he's a former walk-on from, I believe, Blue Valley, one of the Blue Valleys. He's from the Kansas City area. There's so many high schools from out there. So. Yeah, especially with all the suburbs. But yep. So true Mike linebacker, no real surprises there. And then the Sam, or the strong side linebacker, which was a position that I don't think you and I expected to be on this depth chart. I had no idea that they were going to be running a 4-3 defense for this first game. Which, so. it makes sense. You're going up against Stanford. But... Yeah, at Stanford, so 4-3 makes total sense to run against them. But I still didn't expect them to list, list it as a 4-3. I just figured they'd, light, they'd list their base defense, which is unfortunately going to be a 4-2-5. Yeah, <laughs> like... I... But yeah, Sam Linebacker will be Ryan Hennington or Wayne Jones. So this is quite literally 1A, 1B. I imagine Hennington will be used on running downs and then Wayne Jones probably more on bigger passing downs. Yeah, this was a really interesting one to me because they're both linebackers and neither of them were linebackers until this year. Hennington has played basically every position on the field for K-State. He started as a receiver, moved to quarterback, moved to safety, now he's a linebacker. So he's pretty much out of positions to move to. And Kicker. I guess he could kick. He might be able to kick. And then Wayne Jones, he started as a safety uh, his redshirt freshman season uh, and then missed most of last year uh, with um, injury problems. And then he uh, gets moved to linebacker in the offseason. So interesting move there for him. Although I imagine this is not going to be a common alignment 
for the K-State defense. The, when they face most teams that are going to be passing more often, they're going to move to a 4-2-5. Yeah, red every single team yeah. that we face, not named Stanford. Yep, and maybe Iowa State a little bit. Maybe. Like, but yeah, and then they're, uh, yeah, so that Sam linebacker is going to be moved out to uh, more of a nickelback. Um, which is what we're accustomed to at this point. Yep. And I imagine we'll see uh, the legend, the sauce boss, Reggie Sevelfield. Which doesn't make an appearance on the death chart. Yep. That was the big surprise for me, but with the context of they're probably not going to run this defense most of the time, it makes a little bit more sense that he's not on here. And we'll probably still see Stubblefield in passing situations. Yeah. So he can return 12 kicks. But Yep. Then we move into our favorite group of players, at least my favorite group of players. It's mine as well. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad I did not just incorrectly assume. But our favorite group of players, the defensive backs. At the first quarterback spot, we have Echo Boido, Echo Island, backed up by T. Denson. And judging by how unimpressed I was with Stanford's receiver room outside of Simi Fahoku last year. Who is no longer there. Who's no longer there. Um, Echo Island is may as well be Alcatraz Island because no one is escaping. I absolutely love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Echo, he was so impressive last year after being called into duty, after literally not being on the two deep before the season started in a depleted defense going to that uh shall not be named game (laughs) then he plays against the hardest opponent on the entire schedule and is excellent the whole time um echo boydo i'm still looking for that first career interception he had one against tcu that unfortunately didn't count because of a really strange targeting against wyatt hubert if you remember that moment yeah i do yeah and t denson uh, he has one start under his belt he started against texas last year because the entire secondary just Kind of, kind of died, and so Denson, he's got a little experience under his belt. Young guy, a lot of potential. So I feel very comfortable with that cornerback uh, spot. Yep. Then strong safety, we have Jerron McPherson starting, and then Ross Elder backing him up. I'm glad J Mac's there. I'm really um, happy. I love J Mac. Uh, Jerron McPherson, he is a. Uh, as maybe Mr. Hurricane would say, he's the captain of the defense. <laughs> Marcus Calhoun, the captain the cap- of the defense. There might be three of you that will get that reference. So <laughs> That's pushing it. And if you don't get it, don't worry about watch, it. Watch Mr. Hurricane's good YouTuber. But... Delete what I said, listen to these. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Ross Elder in the backup. I think this is another, in my head, This is I'm chalking it up to be more of a opponent-specific thing. They want a run support safety, a bigger safety in. So I think that's why we're seeing uh, Sincere Mason not listed and Ross Elder instead. Because I think in a normal game, Sincere Mason would be listed because I think he's a better cover guy uh, than Ross Elder is. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Uh, but Ross Elder, for this uh, Stanford defense, where we're going to see a lot, or the Stanford offense, they're going to be running a lot more. Uh, Ross Elder may uh, be a better option there. Yeah. Then we move into free safety, which is... The free safety one will be the transfer from... Louisville. Louisville, okay. Yeah. Transfer from Louisville, Russ Yeast, backed up by TJ the Wasp Smith. Again, uh, does TJ Smith get his first targeting penalty of the year in this game? I don't think he will. 
But I think it will be in the first three games. You think it'll be in the first three? I think he's going to hit someone against Nevada. or oh No, it'll probably be Southern Illinois. Like, it won't even matter, and he'll do it. And it'll just be really dumb. I'm picking. I'm picturing someone doing like a deep crossing route against in in Nevada in the Nevada game, and just crosses into TJ Smith's zone, and he just turns into an actual yeah. missile and destroys him. Crossing into his zone—that's a mistake. <laughs> Don't do that. You might get him kicked out of the game, but you might also literally die. <laughs> so, so consider your actions carefully when going against TJ Smith in the K State secondary. Uh, but yeah, Russ East. A ton of starting experience at Louisville. Uh, exactly what the secondary needed in the offseason. K-State really hit secondary recruiting hard this offseason, both in the transfer portal and otherwise. And uh, I'm very, I think this is one of the better position groups on the team, maybe the best. And I'm, I don't know, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with this uh, free safety spot, especially after um, there was some question about Russ Yeast and if he was going to end up playing a lot or not especially when he first got here, but I think those fears were assuaged yeah. uh, as time went on. Yep. And then we have the final cornerback spot, which is Julius Brents, which I believe is the name is the Condor that people have started taking to him. Yeah, they've been calling him Condor and Juju. Those, those are the names for him right now. I'm not calling him Juju. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. He's Condor. <laughs> yeah, Condor, or if he... Because we can have Echo Island and then Alcatraz Island. Ah, I don't know. But anyway, Julius Brent starting. No one is surprised. I actually saw him walking around during really? classes. Um, they're not joking when they say that he has very long arms and is very tall. I'm 5'9". <laughs> it was scary. Because <laughs> it was one of those moments where to make eye contact with him, I had to look up and... No one was joking about his arm length or his height. And that is honestly freak of freak of nature level status for a cornerback. So basically, if he was just okay in coverage, which we have heard he is excellent in coverage. Yeah, we've been hearing that he's borderline elite uh, in coverage and he's a, a NFL talent. So... I, I have very high hopes for Julius Brents this year. Uh, and he's backed up by Justin Gardner, uh, who was starter for a significant portion of last year. He made his name in uh, his ability to make up and uh, chase down a uh, blown coverage. He was excellent at that. Um, he had a ton of pass breakups and interceptions based on him uh, maybe falling behind a little bit and then recovering with his speed. Or and, safety blowing a coverage. Yep, or safety blowing a coverage, which we're not pointing fingers, but... <laughs> it uh, happened. Yeah, it, it happened. And Justin Gardner, he... Uh, um, so he started last year. It was very impressive, I thought. Some people don't think so. I, I thought he was pretty good. Um, uh, Justin Gardner, before... This was before all the Julius Brent's heart hype started. If you go back to our first episode, don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't bother don't don't bother it's two hours 40 minutes and it probably could have been an hour yeah we we, we evolved we ramble a lot now but it was really bad yeah. when we first started we we've evolved past that but before the julius brent's hype started i said justin gardner will have an all big 12 season <laughs> well, well we'll uh give that take a viking funeral so Maybe he still does. I don't know. He could. I mean, maybe the whole secondary will have an All Big Twelve season. <laughs> now one and two. 
Yeah, they just don't even bother giving all Big 12 to any other team. It's just the entire K-State secondary. They don't even name names. They just say K-State, K-State secondary. secondary. <laughs> uh, it's the only way Ross Elder's winning that award. But, Oof. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no disrespect to him. He would probably... He, no, not probably. He would definitely destroy me in any football-related activity. So, now we move into specialists, which is, other than kick and punt returner, no one really talks about. But we're going to because specialists deserve love, too. They deserve love like the offensive line does. Yep. So, the place kicker will be Tayton Winkle or Ty Zentner. Really helpful. <laughs> I saw somebody today say wait and tinkle. Okay, <laughs> moving on. It was it was one of the most immature things I've ever said, but I, I laughed, so I can't I, I can't say you, anything. No one's beating Michael Penix. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. All right, we're moving on. Moving on. Kickoffs will be handled by Ty Zentner, backed up by Chris Tennant. Chris Tennant, that's an interesting one. He's a true freshman from I believe Mill Valley, if memory serves. Um, coaching staff super excited about him. Um, from what I've heard. And I'm excited about him as well. He's got a hell of a leg. So, looking forward to seeing him. And Taylor Bratt ran into him because he told this story on one of the Bosco's Boys live show. Shout out, Bosco's Boys. Um, He saw Chris Tennant, like, in a sandwich shop. And he's like, are you sure you aren't playing linebacker? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that's great for uh, if someone's about to break a kick return. uh, Chris Tennant will lay down the law. (laughs) Kicker hit sticks. We need more. For the brand. For the brand. Uh, the holder will be Jack Bloomer or Ty Zentner. That, that's a... I, I don't know what else to say about it's that. It's fine. And the long snapper will be Randon Plattner or Nelson Pipes. Yeah, he's, he's he nice. He sure does. <laughs> <laughs> and Nelson Pipes is... Uh, Yet to be a fan favorite, but I predict that he will be. Oh, he will be. I don't care if he's just the long snapper. You know, if you went to a K-State game in these last two years, you know how Blake Lynch was treated? Yeah. Nelson Pipes is going to get that exact same treatment. He's next man up. Yeah, next man up. And then kickoff returner will be Malik Knowles and Deuce Vaughn. Um... This made me uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm I'm not comfortable with that. I'm fine with Knowles back there. I'm not. I'm fine with him. It's Deuce that bothers me. I'm fine with Knowles just because he's shown that he's actually a very good kick returner. Deuce, I'm sure he's a good kick returner, but it's at the level that I don't care because I don't want him to get hurt. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm at for both of them. I The attitude I'm at is I know Tyrone Howell is probably not the biggest plus athlete you have, but just put him and Philip Brooks on for both returning units. I'm sure you'll be fine. Yeah, I'll probably be okay. Like, especially with how good Brooks was just in general last year. And I, I know we're losing Joshua Youngblood, which calling that a loss from last year, I suppose, is stretching it, but from 2019 it definitely is. But you can't put... Someone who is your wide receiver one who has had some injury concerns, to put it mildly. I don't think you can put him on kickoff, especially considered how much of a dip there was in wide receiver talent after him. 
Yeah, I'm... I don't know. I'm still fine with Malik back there. Mainly because... I don't know why, but there must be a reason that Phillip Brooks is not back there returning kicks. Like, this is... It is weird how sometimes guys are really good at punt returns, but not kick returns and vice versa. Maybe it's just the angle of the ball when it's coming in. But, I don't know, Malik... I can live with him being back there just because I know that our kick return units are pretty good generally. So I'm imagining that he won't take too many direct uh, direct impact, like hard hits. But I don't know, I, I could end up being totally wrong. He he might just get blown up on the first kick return of the season and then like tear his ACL or something like that. But knock on knock wood. On right wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> so I, I don't anticipate that happening. No. Dude, Deuce is the one that scares me a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I don't like either name because, oh, if, like, gun to my head, someone is making me forced to choose, like, one gets hurt, the other gets to play the season on, I guess I would pick, unfortunately, Deuce because I feel, really? I feel better about our running back depth than I feel about our wide receiver depth. I don't want it to happen. I, ugh. Gosh, I don't know. I don't think I could pick Deuce. I don't think I can justify it just because he's just so good. I get what you're saying, though, because we have way more depth at running back than we do receiver. But Deuce is just so important to the team. I don't know if I can... I, I can't say that. Well, we don't have to worry about it because it's not going to happen. We're moving on. That's true. <laughs> and Deuce also is very tough. So Yeah. He's invulnerable. No one can hurt him. He's perfect. Put it in his god mode sheet. But the punt returner, Philip Brooks, don't look. Malik Knowles is a backup, but Philip Brooks. It's, it's Philip Brooks. It's it's Philip Brooks. Which yep. all Big Twelve returner. Why not? I mean, yeah. Looking forward to his uh, two uh, punt return touchdowns once again against KU. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up the depth chart and we already kind of talked about the surprises we had and sincere yeah. Mason not showing up, but yeah, that was, yeah, we pretty much talked about the surprises as they uh, showed. Yeah. So I, I have very little to add to the depth chart now. Yeah. Which leads us towards the final segment of our show. There is no wacky segment of the week. I'm sorry. You have to wait for the Stanford post game for that. I know, it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But hopefully the Green Wave winning, the I, I'm still angry about it. You know, you know what's funny about that is we were talking about the Green Wave and like the Crimson Tide being like a possible counter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tulane actually practiced at Alabama's facility. Oh. Oh, because of Ida. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so Tulane was actually practicing um, at Alabama's indoor facility. We today. manifest things just in strange ways. Yeah, I don't know how they correlated those two things, but <laughs> it worked out somehow. Yeah, this pretty well wraps up what we wanted to talk about on this episode of Aggieville Alley Cats. If you want to contact or follow the show on Twitter, we are Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us personally, I am ACEdward00 on Twitter. And I am 
Connor Baltazar, C, capital C, and then capital B in Baltazar. Yep, and I know we're technically kind of doing this out of order, but we also have to mention the merch store, which will be coming very soon. And we may even have the main, the new logo uploaded and approved by Friday, so when this episode comes out. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm very excited to see the new logo when it's eventually finished. Yeah, and we're, we're both really excited to share it with y'all, because we... We've been monitoring the progress on it, and we've both really, really adored where it's it's been going. Yeah, um, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, looking forward to setting up that merch store eventually. Yep, and this is where we release the, or I guess quote-unquote leak, I guess you could say, the mysterious third design that we came up with for our merch store. So you have our limited edition shirt, which will be of our original logo, available only for one and two weeks. You will have our new logo, which will be available forever until the end of time. Yep. And then you have the third and final t-shirt, which is just something Connor and I came up with on a whim, based off of a very old and very tried and true Kansas State sports, not even football, sports meme. And it is Play Sandstorm, cowards. Play Sandstorm, you cowards. Yep. That's going to be our third t-shirt that we're launching with. Oh, and also a uh, shout out to the artist who we will link whenever the new cover is linked, as well as our designer who... You want, you want to take the designer? Uh, yeah. Uh, the shirt designer will be my sister, uh, Ainsley Balthasar. As you may have been able to infer by it, it'd also be my last name. Yeah. So, yeah, she's going to be designing our shirts. So I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, working with her on this and uh, eventually getting our shirts out on the merch store. So. Yep. And one final prediction before we finally call off the show. Which one of those, and it's not just shirts, those designs will be available on things like coasters, Phone cases, things of that nature. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we're also making Aggieville Alley Cat socks because we think it's hilarious. Yeah, I can't believe that's an option. Yeah, we're making but, it because it's funny, not because we expect people to buy it. Yeah. But which design do you think will sell the most? Uh, honestly, Play Sandstorm, I uh, think. Yeah. Yeah, Mainly I, because if that just catches a little bit of traction at all with K-State fans, I mean, that's the one that I think has the most like general like value. Because like if you have an Aggieville Alley Cat shirt, like... It's probably because you listen to the podcast, but yeah. Sandstorm, everybody loves Sandstorm, except for John Curry, former, former K State AD, that was not so much a fan of the Sandstorm and the uh, byproduct that came with it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's going to be our mysterious third design that I'm not sure if we've even teased, but we have not teased it at all because I think we literally just thought. Of yeah, it. we just thought of it, but third design will be play Sandstorm cowards. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.